Bleachers, you are listening to the only podcast in Ontario that keeps you in the game. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, let's do this. My next two guests are sexy, but not too sexy to come on in the game. I'm talking about brothers Richard and Fred Bearbrass from Right Said Fred. And I wanted to reach out to you guys uh, first and foremost because I came across your new EP, and that's what I want to talk about first is the new EP. Uh, I got to say... Um, you know, I'm 41, so when I'm Too Sexy came out, I was about 11 or 12 years old. I'm 41 now. Um, I was quite impressed with the new EP, to be honest, and that's why I reached out. Um, right now, we're going through a whole lot of crap as <laughs> as a world and a society. Uh, North, North America is going through a lot of stuff with racial tension, uh, divi- division. I guess I'll use the word division. Um yes. And man, your first title track on that EP, Brighten My Day. Good, good. Um, What's the intention? Yeah, I want you to talk about that EP. So, so let's talk about, um, you know, I, I mean, right now, people need some good times. I mean, everybody needs <laughs> yes, it, right? Let's, let's, yes. walk, let's walk through that song first uh, and, and chat a bit, a bit about that EP. Um, so how, how long ago was that recorded? Obviously, it wasn't recorded for COVID-19 or, or the stuff happening now, correct? No, it was, well, it, the song was written in two parts. Firstly, just to give an overview, my, my brother Richard and I, we both suffered, not suffered from, but we both battled with depression for quite a long, for, for a long time. Part of the reason we write the way we do is to try, is to try and cheer ourselves up. The last yeah. thing you want to do is sit there and play a minor key and sound like elbow or... Um, or, or, or that sort of shoegazy stuff. And I'm not, I'm not criticising those bands. It's just not for yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. And so, so what we do is, what, the way we write is we try and write from a perspective of, of um, positivity. So the first part of Good Times Everybody, the very first half of the song, the guitar riff and the Better This Time section was written about um, two years ago. On the, because in the UK we had Brexit. And there was a lot of yeah. there was a massive lot of division and a lot of animosity, um, and, and it was happening in families. It was happening in relationships. It was insane. So we, we, we wrote that, but we didn't release it because we we felt we didn't have um, it, wasn't it wasn't finished. It just so, wasn't it wasn't ready for that no, time. That time. No. Well, the thing needed the original idea. We thought it had a payoff, and then we played it when we played it again. We realised it didn't have a payoff. Yes, it was like half a joke. You know, you need you need the, you need the end of the joke to make. So, are are we hearing the the stripped down version of that song? Is that that's the original? No, way? no, you're hearing no. what you're, the new bit is the chorus. Yeah, is the main is the main chorus. Yeah, we, we wrote the the um um uh, everybody's uh, everybody's missing the sunshine that that section. Um, we wrote that section about uh, where are we now? We're in June, so April. No, wow, end end of March, wow. very early April. So the song, the song was very much complete. The guitar, the thing was done. 
Uh, we knew we wanted the guitar track with some live strings. So there's a guy that we've used for many years called Pete Whitfield. So we sent the track off to him and we were confident we would write another part. So we were quite happy to take the song, to progress the song right almost through to pre-mix stage, knowing that we were confident in writing a chorus yeah. around the same chords because we didn't want to change chords. We want, we like the, the, the four chord turnaround. So uh, in, it was sort of late March, April, I was in the UK and that's when I got stuck here. I couldn't get back to Spain, which is where I live with my wife. So I had three months in the UK and we just started writing. And one of the first songs we wrote, or choruses we wrote was, everybody's having a good time, I'm missing the sunshine. Yeah. So we, we, we liked that. So we put it, we went to, we, um, uh, we went to our studio and worked with our engineer and you know, social distancing, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Anyway, and, um, and, and so Richard put the vocal down. We, um, we sent the vocal off to a girl called Kat Deal, who we work with quite a lot. She did a remote BV for us. Um, and then we mixed the track. So that, once we'd written it, the actual turnaround was very quick because the track was done. Yeah, it, it was pretty, uh, again, it... If you had the the background music, I, I guess we kind of refer to that as a yes. I guess dance or house or yes. like a kind of that that per se as a as a person growing up through my life, I, I wasn't really into that type of music, but I did see I'm I'm Canadian, but I lived in Belgium from nineteen ninety-eight to two thousand and one. So it was very popular there, right? I played I played minor professional hockey there. I flew from Brussels to Heathrow, through from Heathrow to Canada. So uh so I'm familiar with the area. But you str it was added just right. Like I mean, the way the, the the bridge going into the chorus with the guitar and that music and it kind of kicked in, it was almost very you could feel your spirits lifting up. And, and like you said, right now we're you know they're they're opening things up here in North America, but it's almost like man, this is like an anthem for a summer song for me. Of let's have some you know some wine, some beer, let's have a good time because we've been through an awful lot of shit the last couple months, right? <laughs> yes, we have. Well, also, what, what was happening is that we um, we had we, in Feb January February um, we were recording some acoustic tracks and. Um, during the, we were debating whether just to have us sitting in a studio and using that footage or whether to use footage of shows and intercut in it. We were having that debate. And we, we got um, a lot of footage of, re, of shows from the last few years and even and, and further back. And when we started watching it, we were thinking that this, people in a field or a room or a, someone's bedroom, some, doesn't matter where it is, in a space all together having fun is the most natural thing in the world. You know, sharing an experience, sharing drinks, sharing music, sharing the sunshine, whatever the hell it is. It's it's how we make connections. I mean, when I got when I got married in two thousand and eight, and we went to the Dominican Republic, the first group, my wife and I, you know, because we'll, we can get into the depression or the uh, isolation stuff later, because yeah. in in this household there was some stuff with that as well, right? So, but but we were kind of people that kept to ourselves. my wife, myself. We went to the Dominican. We met a group, actually a family of, I think, eight to 10. They were from the UK. And man, like you said, it was uh, the drinking the beers, having a good time. They were so social. It was probably the nicest group of people we met. And and right away, it was, uh, it was talking about musicians from the UK, from Canada, actors from, but it's the connection. And, and like you said, uplifting music and music in general brings people together. No, yes, yes. Really, yeah. yeah, and also because we're, 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 uh, we're, we're, we're older than you and I was around 
during the uh, 80s dance thing when the whole summer of fun and I remember some of the very early dance tracks going back to the early 80s even late 70s and I remember being in a club and I heard Pump Up the Volume by Mars oh yeah yeah and yeah I, and, and normally I, at the time I was listening to Tom Petty Talking Heads and, and which I still love I was in a club and I just thought what the hell is this man this is just it just blew me away I just what a track and then, so we started, so from that point, uh, um, we've always liked dance music, but we like to try and include guitars and, and, and songwriting within that, within the, within the um, genre. And sometimes, and we don't always stay in that genre anyway, but, but when we do. And so with, with Good Times Everybody, we wanted to, it's, um, the chords are very melodic. Um, we, we've always liked that four term, which starts with a major seventh. It's a very happy, happy sounding um, chord and, and key and um so we just wanted to try we wanted to lip the music and the lyric to reflect the way the chords sound when you just strum the chords they just sound great and yeah we, 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 we wanted the song to feel to, to express that yeah, yeah and it's, it's funny how you brought uh genre and all that type of stuff into this and we can get onto this in a little bit later again is 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 you know people pegged you guys uh and again critics i mean critics are usually they're usually assholes that are uh not good at them at music themselves right i mean so so they got to critique somebody right um yeah. But people pegged you, and that's how the industry is, and, you know, it's uh, Deeply Dipply or or I'm Too Sexy. This is kind of what they are. But you got me on the song Tide, okay? Like that okay. one, that you, you actually, okay, so back back in the early 90s, we didn't have a playlist because we didn't have the iPod, and you, and you connect your songs and put them on your playlist. Tide is actually on my playlist, okay? Oh, okay. And, and, and and I'm going to get chastised for this, but the vocals in this, I'm closing my eyes at some point and, and, and I'm actually hearing kind of like a Canadian artist here, Leonard Cohen. Oh, the, the, oh. Okay. I, I don't like, like, like when you hear the Richard, like what, I don't know if you get that when you close it and you hear, okay, certain parts of it is like little grasp of like Leonard Cohen. Right. Um, and, and the music is very well written. Same with the song raining in England that you guys did. The, yes. the, the, the structure of the songs, you're not, I'm too sexy. I mean, you guys are actually talented musicians and, and people have pegged. <laughs> no, I mean, people have pegged you into the box, right? So, so when you hear Tide, when I hear it, I'm very relaxed. Um, I don't, I don't smoke marijuana, but it feels like, you know, it's that whole, it's like I could drive in that car and everything goes away. And when I hear, when I, when I hear the song, it's really weird lyrically, right? I want to ask you about that song because part of it, part of it is almost like you're thankful for everything that's been given to you or that has happened in your life. But then when you fast forward to the end, you can't take it with you. Like you can't, when you're gone, you're gone and that's it and everything happened. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I, you're being thankful for everything that life has given, right? Said Fred or yourselves, correct? Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I, years and years ago, I was working as a, as a delivery guy, um, delivery furniture. And the, the driver, we were talking about it one day, and his, his son, I think, had been in an accident. And one thing this guy, Fred, his name was Fred actually, um, and one thing he said to me was, You'll never find pockets in a shroud. And, and I just remember, I always remember that you what, you, know, you have a shroud and there's no pockets in it because there's no point because you can't take anything with you, and that that was uh, that was yeah. that was part of the idea behind that I think. Also, I think so. It was it was a cumulative thing. Over the last few years, mum mum died from she had Alzheimer's for seven years, and that was a 
painful thing. Richard's partner died of cancer. Um, some very close, another good close friend died of cancer. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, I, I don't really, I, I'm not sure if I'm a believer in the afterlife or not. I, I actually, ha- I, did, I did see a ghost. I have, I've, I've spoken about that quite a lot online and I've, 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 I can reiterate the story exactly to what happened to me. But anyway, so I don't know about that, but I certainly know even if, you, even if there is a lot of afterlife, the stuff we fill our lives up with now, you cannot take with you. Yeah, materialistic, materialistic yeah, stuff, exactly. right? But, but you're thankful for the gifts that have been bestowed upon you. Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> and also the, the, the title Tide is, is, about, is about the inevitability of the journey coming to an end. Yes. Yes. You know, the tide rolls in and there's nothing you can do about it. Can I, can, I, can I ask? Yeah, and I, and I got a sense of it as with the intro and the, and the outro of that was is yes. almost, yeah, you're, you know, you're putting your feet up and you're watching the tide roll in and out. And, you know, you kind of associate that with uh, the, like, I don't want to use the term the ending of life, but when you think of people with retirement, when they're enjoying yeah. their life or when they're looking back. Now, I got a question for you about a lyric. One little lyrical box stuck it it almost didn't seem like it fit i'm like what the hell is this right cars hats and pussy cats is yes. that relating to i'm too sexy because yes. the three of them okay because the, i for two days it bothered me i said to my wife i love this song this song is you know and i'm and i'm playing it for her and i'm playing it because like i said it's on my playlist tied and i get to that lyric and i'm like like there's something bothering me about this <laughs> section right and then i go back and i say it's on I'm Too Sexy, which it started the whole thing as far as for the explosion, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yes. I mean, awesome. When, when, we had, when we had I'm Too Sexy, you know, we did, you know, like, like loads of bands back then, we did the rounds, we took, we did, we had 30 cassettes and we took them to, you know, every label under the sun and we got the, and every single, every single label said this will never be a hit record. And, um, and when we were playing it, we just thought, I just think they're wrong. This just sounds, you know. So, so cut. Long story short, we we gave up on a record deal and we got it to radio, and and through through a through a, through a manager, we, we were a young lady we were working with, and the amazing thing was is that it went from a song that the entire music industry hated to a song that just went insane, literally within about forty eight hours. It was just it's the maddest thing we've ever experienced in our lives, um, and so it was it was great. It was. It's, it's, a, it's basically saying thank you to the song because songs come and go, and I, I love Rainy in England, but it hasn't made us a... a, a no, no. <laughs> but, 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 but anyone musically can listen to the structure and the composition of the song and appreciate yes. it. Yes, yeah. exactly. And Sexy Out of Nowhere has... Ju- has fun- that, that and, you know, we've got about, we've got a, like, I know, seven or eight songs that continually deliver for us in terms of royalties. And those songs enable us to live the life we live and pay for the radio in England of this world that we love, but really actually don't. It's a bit like you know, George Clooney doing Ocean's 38. <laughs> <laughs> so you, yeah. you, guys talk, you, you guys talked about your mom. Um, so again, I want to relate why I reached out to you guys too as well. You know, we have a lot of uh, North American acts that come onto this show. I kind of, I kind of picked them personally, uh, uh, because it's what people that intrigue me. Uh, I had nobody yet from Europe and you guys are my first European, uh, uh, group. Uh, you're from the UK. Um, and and the reason why is you you talked about your mom and I want to talk about my mom very quickly. This is how closely it relates and why I asked you guys and why I searched the UK and when I saw your EP I wanted you so I asked my mom 
a little bit about her family and how they came to Canada. And my mom said, my father was born on a canal boat at the wharf in Wolverhampton, England. Wow. Okay. Um, his mother had eight children. And when her husband died, she gave two of them to Dr. Bernardo Holmes. My dad was seven when he, when he was given away and they brought him to Canada in, 19, in 1910. He went, back, he went back to England for the war and met my mother. My sister was born in England in 1944, and she came to Canada with my mom, and my mom was a war bride. My mom had my brother, then had me, but got homesick. We all went back to London, England, and the whole family lived in one council house. Five of us lived in two rooms. Took my dad nine years to save enough to bring us all back to Canada. In London, we lived in a suburb called Battersea. Oh, oh my God! Battersea okay. is, um, is very expensive. It is now very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, but to her, it was like it was like very poor growing up. Exactly. They were poor. Yeah, yeah. it's right. It's it's uh, the river divides Chelsea and Battersea. So if you want to try and make your property sound more expensive, you say South Chelsea uh, because <laughs> it's a, it's actually Battersea, but the river divides Battersea and Chelsea. So so that's my mom. That's how one step removed from being English, or my mom was born there. We have the opposite story. Our okay. mum met a Canadian soldier in Brighton called Ro Roland. Roland. Yeah. Roland. He had uh, he had proposed basically and said, "Once the war is over, let's go back to Canada." But he was killed. He was a tank. Uh, in the, uh, it was a tank commander. He was he was, he was a tank commander. And we actually took mum to visit his grave in um, northern France about ten years ago, actually eleven years ago. And um, so we, if Roland had died, we would have been Canadian. We would have moved to Canada. Wow, and we would have been. Uh, and you, yeah. you probably you probably wouldn't have happened, right? I mean, because you know this this is where I was getting to with the support of your family. How 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 much how important is that support? But you know, you guys were just aiming for you know that number one hit in the UK, right? And I mean, you actually I think did something that the Beatles did, which was re reach number one in the US yeah. on your debut single. Yeah, poor sure. old poor old Canadian Brian Adams held you guys off in the UK. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, number one, right? But <laughs> but it's it's unique how the Canadian and the and, and the British uh, or the UK have that, you know, we're so we're actually fairly close with a lot That's of right. our relatives going back and forth. So yeah. how important, you know, a lot of people don't realize that you guys were in North America, I believe in the late 70s and early 80s so when when you guys came over yeah mid 80s so when you came over how important was it for your mom i guess at that point in time or family for you know letting you guys make that trek and and the support that your mom has given you all the way through up until her passing how important mom mom was a frustrated dancer she her, she was from a very poor family and um she, her family were always on the run from uh, landlords and any money there to anybody. Um, she was raised by a single mum, which was very rare, and uh, and, and they, they, had, they had no money. So mum, the minute we started playing guitars and, and showing an interest in entertainment, mum was all for it because she had she always felt that she'd missed out. Dad wasn't. Dad was my, dad was a more conservative. He was uh, he was a printer. But, but wanted to be a farmer. So he did side with us from the perspective of he wasn't allowed to follow his dreams. His family forced him into printing when he wanted to be a farmer. Um, and, but after the war, which is when he was looking for work, you Second World War. It, sorry? You took what you could. Yeah, you, you took what you could. Farming work wasn't, apparently there wasn't much around, I don't know. 
Um, so we, we were lucky. Mum and Dad were very supportive. Um, and when we went to America, and basically we, we, we were going, we would just come out of a record deal in the UK, and we were one of those bands that was going to happen and never did, you know. And so we thought, this is just crazy. Let's try something else. So um, a friend of a friend happened to have an apartment on West 27th and 6th in New York, in Manhattan. So we were told we can go live there for nothing. So we just grabbed our guitars and we went, we jumped on a plane. And what we did, which was quite, we didn't realize at the moment at the time, but it was quite mad, is that we got a Walkman, a cassette Walkman. We recorded some, um, a backing track, four backing tracks on that. And we played and sung over the Walkman. So when we arrived doing shows in New York, we'd go, go to a gig, we'd get the Walkman, we'd tell the engineer to plug it into the PA system. And you're like, what? What are you doing? Everybody else was turning up with drums. Everyone so. had bands and everything. <laughs> yeah. I said, we haven't got a band. There's just two of us. So yeah. this is how it's going to be. Yeah. And yeah. We, got, we got signed to EMI Capital based on those shows. You know, we got we were playing the Knitting Factory, and um, and, we, and we got signed there to Capital EMI. That's that deal actually fell through. But because of our time in in, in New York, and because of the hedonism that we had seen in New York and also was sort of quite global at times, supermodels and big hair and big shoulders and all this sort of stuff. And so Sexy was partly written on the back of that because yeah. of the, the um, being people who, there were people who thought they were too sexy. So we, we were making fun of that hedonistic. I, I was going to say, you, that's totally not you guys because, oh, no. you know, like I, like I thought I saw an interview with you guys too where you talked about doing a red carpet thing and I and I can't remember who uh, John Travolta was there yeah. and you yeah. guys got invited and you were like, you know, you looked at the red, you are like, let's go to the pub and have a beer yeah. and get <laughs> shit-faced because this, <laughs> this isn't <laughs> us, right? <laughs> we were so drunk. Yeah. You know, but, but we what? met John Travolta afterwards, him and um, Ray Liotta. They were lovely. Yeah, they were. And they even pretended we weren't drunk. It was very sweet. Yeah, yeah. But, but you guys, like you said, you, it's not you, right? And, and you guys haven't changed because you know if someone put you in a box and labeled you in the music industry as a certain way you didn't change like some people do where they you know i gotta be mainstream or i gotta cave and give in right i mean let's not forget you guys originally if, if i'm not mistaken were a bit kind of like billy idol leather jackets and the hair and everything back you guys kind of brought in and again when they hear i'm too sexy really unless they strip that uh strip the music down or understand music i mean you are actually quite good acoustically which again acoustic what people don't understand is it actually shows people people's playing ability i saw a night of the living fred type yeah, thing yeah. with you guys yeah. did it okay that shows ability as musicians because you know anybody can do um, nirvana and crank out the distortion and, and loud music but you know like when nirvana went to mtv unplugged and played their songs and stripped it down it was successful because they pulled it off and it actually showed that they had the ability acoustically, which showed they were talented. And you guys have done that a few times and you guys do it in your recordings acoustically. You use acoustics. Um, and, and like that one show I was talking about, you stripped everything right down and, and it was quite impressive. And unless people actually take the time, um, which I might share some links on the video podcast part of this to those, to those episodes, because it really gives a sense of, just how hard it is acoustically to pull that off and sound good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think if you've got a song like to go to Nirvana, Come As You Are, it's just a great hook. And you can strum that on guitar 
you can strum it well, you can strum it badly. It's just a great hook. And I think, uh, and, and sex, believe it or not, sex, people don't think sexy will, undo sex will stand up on acoustic. It does. It, yeah, it, it, it just, just does. It does. I, mean, you know, I think that's one of the, one of the reasons the songs stand up is because we tend to write them on guitar. We, do, yeah. we don't write them from a track end. We write them from a song end and then turn them into a, into a track or whatever. So it's never really a problem to reduce the song to an acoustic version because that's where it started. Um, so it's, it's, we, you know, we don't write, we rarely, if ever, write in the studio. We nearly always write um, back home on, on guitar, you know. So but I think that's why the songs sort of stand up. And also we started off as an acoustic duo. So we started off, mm. you know, going into pubs and bars and restaurants and stuff doing that acoustic thing. Yeah. And we just got, we got bored with not having four on the floor, you know. Noise. Noise. Yeah. Noise. Yeah. <laughs> noise, yeah. That's what attracted us to the, year, years and years ago, we did our first tour. We had a band called The Actors in 1978. And we did our first tour with a, an American electronica duo called Suicide. Yeah. And that was Marty Rev and... Um, Vega, Alan Vega, and um, we did some shows with with um, uh, Joy Division as well. At the, exactly, so it was us, Suicide, and Joy Division. And what I noticed about both those bands, which we didn't have, was just this low end analog synth. I'd never heard it live in my life, and I just thought, what is that noise? And you could feel this. Wait, and I'd seen some. I'd seen some heavy bands, some rock bands play, but and as loud and as good as they were, they didn't have that those frequencies. They just didn't have it. And dance music does, and that's what I love about it. You, you when you feel that rumble, I, I absolutely love it. So, so and I mean, you guys, it's like what thirty years now, almost. Close to, yeah, like yeah. since that, since your, your, you know, the first big hit. Um, yeah. Like I said, I still think you guys have, to me, songs that are in there that are relevant and, and hits. I don't care. I don't classify as one hit wonders because, you know, Deeply Dipply was another one that I thought was a good tune. Um, so how much how much has the um, industry changed in 30 years? And how much has things changed as far as things like Napster when all that went on? And then now you're now you're into Spotify and Apple and the digital age. And you're also your, your technology, like back in the day, you know, I started messing around with some of the things that you were talking about with uh, electronica, yep. whereas versus I still like original like tube amps and and and, and guitar and drum. How, I both, yeah. How how much has things changed in thirty years when it comes to the business? And I know you guys are self, almost like self finance. You do things yourself. Yeah. But how much has it hurt? Has it hurt or has it helped? With social media, Spotify, Apple, all these platforms, has it has it helped guys like you or or bands, or has it kind of hurt? I think it's helped a over both, actually. a bit of both. I think it's helped from position of being able to reach audiences that before you you had to go through the gatekeepers. So the digital world has helped that. Um, the bad thing is is that um, the streaming services aren't paying fair royalties. That's that needs to be addressed. And, and well, also, hang on. Maybe it's hard to know because the major labels are in the way a lot of the time, and and the major labels have sold a lot of artists down the line by doing very poor deals with Apple and uh, Spotify. So it's very possible the major labels are paying themselves quite well, uh, but a lot of artists are not are not seeing those funds, um, are not seeing that ripple effect. I think in terms of being able to go into, I think the cost, I mean, when we were, when we were recording in the 80s, we'd have to hire a, stu a studio that had the two-inch tape, 
You'd have to pay for the two-inch tape. You have to have an engineer. It was a very expensive process. The, the great thing now, particularly if you're a bit of a one-man band and, and you and with Garage Band and all the other, you know, Logic and um, Cubase, all that stuff, if, if you're confident in those areas, you can get a record sounding pretty amazing without going near a studio. And, yeah. I, think, and I think that's only a good thing. Yeah, um, it, and, and does that mean if you have that, that with an artist that your creativity could be a little better? Because what I'm saying is, you know, you hear stories about record labels and companies where, you know, they would get their nose involved too much, whether it's the, uh, I, again, I'll go back to another Nirvana story when they had that controversial song, Rape Me, uh, the record label, everything came in, they wanted, you know, Walmart got involved. Well, now being more independent or having, you know, GarageBand or whatever mixing thing they'll use, they're able to basically say, I'm the artist, this is how I want my my songs to sound. Yes. And they have, they have freedom and control over their artistic ability you agree on that one? yeah, we, yeah that is true yeah we were um we, we were signed to bmg in europe oh not to them but through a subsidiary in um, in early 2000 and the first thing i must say is be um, I, I know we're critical of major labels but bmg germany at that time were brilliant what they did with us was fantastic but what was very interesting we were literally backstage at top of the pops waiting to go on the phone goes and says Cancel the song you were going, you're going to perform. This is the song you're going to perform. So suddenly, as the artist, you're backstage, you're, 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 in, you're in your dressing room at Top of the Pops. Do you have a stand-up round with your record company and Top of the Pops, who at the time were all embracing, or do you just swallow your pride uh, and, get, and, 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 and get on with it? So, and you have a choice. It's, it, it's a rock and hard place. So we swallowed our pride and we did what we were told because we tried to see the bigger picture. But now, um, and we, we've been, um, we, we, we have, we, um, although we are self-released, we have been offered deals because um, major labels want to get their hands on our copyrights for other songs, which we have now reclaimed. Well, not everything, but a lot. And um, we just decided, we had to make a decision. Do we just do this our way and, and rely on word of mouth and, and a very slow process, or do we go and jump into to bed with the, with the, you know, into the belly of the beast, if you like? And what may changed our mind is we did a project with a major label last year, a completely different project. And having spent nine months on that, that, that made our minds up. We're not going near that animal ever again. It's too, it's just... And about two years it's ago, just we had a, it's just miserable, man. We had a song and the first line was, making love, making babies. Right? Making love is good. And when you make, when you make love somebody, you make babies. So it's fine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you think. We were told you can't use that that line. Radio won't play because it's uh, censorship. Isn't yeah. it a beautiful thing? Or uh, political correctness, or everything? We're having a problem here in Canada, in my opinion. I don't want to get too political because yeah. I mean, you know, even all my guests share different political views than me, and I hate doing it. But I, I'm I'm starting to believe that creativity. Like you said, when somebody else is involved, creativity gets killed because we're not wanting to offend people or we're not wanting to, well, what, what might not be offensive to you? Now, I'm not talking about the stuff going on with Black Lives Matter. It's like you said, making love, making babies. Yeah. You know what? We That's went, right. I didn't go through it, but the 60s and 70s or the late 60s, Woodstock, Powell, you know, like, yes. what, is, what is the problem, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, for, for us, we just, you know, we've been, we've been playing a long time. And we just thought, uh, 
how are we going to do, yeah, when we had the tide EP, how are we going to do this? And we just thought, we're not going to talk to anybody. We had a couple of labels contact us because I'd mentioned on Facebook we were writing a recording, and they said, we want to hear that. Yeah, we'd love to hear your demos, they said. Yeah. And, they, and, they want to hear if you got another number one hit, and then they're going to want to, yeah. And we just thought, I'm not sending anything to anybody for their point of view. Awesome. We like, we like what we've done. And, and if we like what we've done, that's the best we can ask for. Yeah, and, and if other people like it, that's fantastic. You know, it's going to be a slow build. We we know that. Uh, we, we uh, we're determined to release a new EP every probably three months, maybe yeah, ten weeks to twelve so weeks. We're working on the next one now. So, wow, wow. When we just want to, we just want to start. We just we've just decided to commit ourselves to product. Well, I shouldn't call it product. Well, you shouldn't. So I, I sound like a record company guy. <laughs> We're putting putting out new putting out new songs. So um, and and some of the and the, the um, people like to have a go at us. We're very used to it. At the moment, we've not had a single negative on this EP. Um, it's it's been it's just I, been thump. You know, thump. I, I I and I don't want to I don't want to make it like I don't like any of the previous music because I I do. But like I said, Tide is on my playlist. I was yeah. quite impressed with. Uh, with the two songs we talked about and to me i'm just i'm i'm hearing more musical out of you like what, what like i'm i'm it's not you know like i said i wasn't really into the dance stuff even though the the dance type feel is in your remix or master mix i but with the guitar once it starts crunching in there yeah it's, it's it's uplifting right so for me i'm like i was quite impressed i'm like yeah this is really good stuff right so so if you're if you're releasing more stuff in a couple months i mean i'm hoping it's uh and again like i said i i heard enough out of this ep that i was impressed you guys plan to um you know package some of that stuff together to a full length or just the eps with uh with this stuff or probably with it's partly money yeah it, it would could, uh, an album is quite a it's quite a commitment Pro, yeah uh, but i think we'd stick with eps for another maybe up to a year and then maybe review the EPs and go, okay, we should repackage this. We'll, we'll do different mixes or whatever we would decide to do. And then we would do an album. But at the moment, what we find, we really like working with the EP format because it's very focused. It's manageable. It's right. really manageable. Yeah. Um, we, we, we don't have to overspend. We do tend to use studios. We, we, neither of us are very, we, neither of us program. We're not programmers. We just, Richard plays bass and sings. I play guitar and sing. That's it. And, um, and what's so the way we work is we work with a programmer at the studio, but we do use it. We do use we use re remote drummers. Um, so we a lot of we use a lot of live drums, even if it's we, even if we end up cutting that up so it does something else. But it's, it's, it's it starts off organic. Uh, Richard plays a lot of the bass, uh, like on Tide, which is playing bass. Although you didn't on Good, good Times Everybody. No, else. that was Gary. Yes, Good Times Everybody's Gary Crockett. I, I I'm playing all the guitars on those tracks. Um, we do the BVs, apart from if we need a girl vocalist. So the whole thing, we try and manage it from from you know from co concept to carpet, as they call it in the movie industry. So that's what that, that's that's what we that's what we try to do. I'm, I'm really pleased you mentioned the Leonard Cohen thing earlier. Oh yeah, yeah, because there's a line, a Leonard Cohen line, which I just think is so brilliant, which was, which is, um, all my friends have gone and my hair is grey, I ache in places where I used to play. Yeah, it's a great line. Really. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, and I, and I and I and I like I said, people are going to criticize me about that because uh, you know they'll 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 see the band name, they'll know who you are, and they go, "I'm right, Leonard." Cole. What do you mean lyrically? Or I said, <laughs> "Close your eyes," and I said, "Listen to the tone of the voice, the way it's uh, delivered." 
And, 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 you know, I said, the words that are coming at you, I said, it, it has a little bit of a Leonard Cohen-esque feeling to it, right? So, um, so you guys seem like you have, I mean, longevity, longevity only happens when you have each other's backs. And it seems like you guys seem to be on the same page. You have each other's backs. You don't give two flips what people think. Um, but I thought I read somewhere that uh, that almost ended. Um, no, that's what you mean. As, uh, meaning, meaning, there were some health issues with asthma. Oh, yeah, my was that Fred? With that Fred? Yeah. I, I was. Um, oh, yes, I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. I, I, yeah, I had pneumonia in two thousand and three, um, and I used to. You know, I don't want to go into details, but I used to. I did the typical pop music, pop musician thing. You know, two, two. You know, two. two you know, I, I had too many substances. I depended on. You know, I, I use them in the gym. I use them to play. I use them at work. I, I became a bit of a bit of a pain in the ass, probably to be with. And we were we had two very big albums in two thousand one, two thousand two, and we were just working like crazy. And uh, I was propping myself up with um, alcohol and, and and other stuff. And then one day I just sort of collapsed, and um, I, I got rushed in the hospital. And then they told Richard that I, I had no vital signs at all. No, everything had just sort of crashed. And they gave, they said to Richard, you better expect the worst. He's got about three to four hours to live. We can't, the the prognosis is- That long, man. That that long. (laughs) So he took me down the studio. Um, So uh, yeah, so it was was bleak for, but it was a very short time because um, uh, as I was was told by the doctor that because of the weight training over years, I had a very strong constitution. My body was quite uh, well-toned for, not for my age. And he said, that's probably saved your life because you were, you, you started off, although you had done some damage to yourself and then the pneumonia, uh, overall, you're pretty strong. So, you know, thank, you know, thankfully you touch wood. Um, well, that, I, that was that, enough. Yeah, that, that, that was pretty grim. And, um, and after that, we also just decided not to plan ahead. Sometimes people live their lives in the future and, and we've, we've been guilty of that. So we try to do things more in a six month time frame. Let's get this done. Let's get that done. Let's, yeah. let's not, you know, cause maybe, ne- maybe next year we're not around. Who knows? Yeah. So are you, are you still bothered by uh, like, did, was it, did you get, was there asthma involved in that? Well, I've always had asthma. I've been asthmatic since I was six. Yeah. Um, and so because, um, and, and also I, I, um, what happened was I don't want to get into a slanging match with the hospital, but, Basically, they had to issue official apology and sack people because I was given some pretty bad treatment. And what ha- what's happened is my immune system has been damaged. So I, I constantly have small ailments. Nothing life, but you know, I, I, my sin- I've had four sinus operations since 2003 because my, my sinus is now damaged. And I just have to be careful with my workload because what it, what happens is, and Richard tell you, I'm fine. And suddenly I'll just go like 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 crack like uh, um, shutting down the computer. I'll just go, <laughs> and I will just I have to go to bed. No, yeah. I can't do anything. So I sit in bed for a, an afternoon, sometimes a day or so, and then I'm fine. Um, but it has that that illness has damaged me long term. But I don't want to make a big thing out of it. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not on a drip and being wheeled around. Yeah. Um, I yeah. just have to be a bit careful. So uh, I'll, I'll ask you guys a couple more questions. And I'll let you go because I don't want to. I know it's pretty. You guys are getting uh, like a bit of a heat uh, wave over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit about uh, 
I guess, depression earlier. And, and uh, you know, I'll use the term mental illness too. My own daughter, my own daughter who turns 18 um, this fall, she had a bout with uh, mental illness, uh, attempted self-harm several times. Um, you know, myself, I, I, I took a lot of headshots as a minor professional hockey player. You know, you see your athletes take the concussions. It happened years later is when the damage really comes through with mood aggression in the music industry um you know and i I, i'm amy winehouse kurt cobain shannon shannon hoon the list goes on and on and on i guess with substance abuse but it has to be substance abuse also probably has to be tied with depression or mental illness i mean yes you you're doing it to relieve stress and to you know but to get that far down a hole it has to be from years of constant pressure and stress in the industry. Um, you know, is there is there a problem in the music industry still, or is it like sports where people are starting to wake up and say, "Hey, you know, it's okay," or we're struggling, or or not just meaning you guys, but you know, artists amongst artists to say, you know, if you ever need anything, reach out and call me. Has it got to that point, or do people just don't give a shit and people are still? I think artists to artists, I see it on, on social media, artists to artists chatting. I don't think record companies care. You're either making the money or you're not. Yeah. I, I, you're, I, you're, you're basically a piece of meat. Yes, you yeah, are. Yeah, you, you are. Yeah. Yes, you are. And uh, I think record companies are a bit like governments. It's all the time you're paying taxes, you're very handy. And when you, you retire, you stop paying taxes, you're actually a bit of a pain in the ass. And, and that's what I, I think that's how governments see it, the elderly. And I think record companies see artists in a very specific way. Uh, which is your, you know, you're, you've either recouped or you haven't. You're either making some money or you haven't, and you're, you're either you're either um, um, an asset or you're or you're a problem. Um, I think the days of labels having an artist like you take a band like U2, and the the commitment that Chris Blackwell at Island Records showed to that band was just breathtaking. He actually put he actually um, he's froze all record label staff wages for three months to pay for U2. Uh, and we know that for a fact because uh, a publisher we worked with was uh, an intern at Island Records at the time. And wow. Everybody said so. Their tours are, I mean, I haven't seen them. My brother, my brother's probably seen them 12 times in Canada over the years. But I mean, their tours, I mean, from Pop Mart to like, they were just ridiculous with the costs, right? I mean, I would assume. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. yeah, insane costs. Sorry, go on. I, think, I think with a lot of artists who, who overdose all that, they, that I think. There's either, as you say, there's either some kind of familial or friend, deep friendship backing that's missing. There's nobody in their life that they can really, really, really turn to. Um, and, I, but, and I also think that some artists put too much importance on being successful. They, they want it too much. And if you want anything too much, you become weak. Um, yeah, there's a, I think it was The um, Sopranos or something, one of those movie things. And they, one, one character said to another, the only man to fear is the man that can't be bought. And in a way, that's that's that. I think that's true, and I think if you're an artist and you and you can be bought, and you you know you want fame desperately or success desperately or money desperately, then you become weak and you become easily to easy to manage. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's where a lot of trouble starts. I think it's in the artist's head. They they really feel they absolutely have to. Well, we, we got sucked into that, and we got yeah. Uh, yeah, we would have. I think I think we would have. We'd had the wrong. Well, we we, we, we yeah. were we were got uh, in the nineties. We were definitely manipulated. We were def- we definitely did what we were told. 
Um, we, we, we did some appalling TV that we should never have done. Uh, and it was based because, yeah. it was basically because we were pointed at a camera and said, do that, and we, we did it. I remember we did a kids show. We had a, an early morning children's show to do. And I got a phone call the night before and I was told to shave my chest because a hairy chest might frighten the kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, and that's you know, and and that's almost like um, Colonel Tom Parker esque with yeah, Elvis it, Presley. Yeah. Yes, I yes, mean, yes, yeah, it's it's totally it just get it gets so paranoid, it gets absolutely. And we we did a we did a um, when I was with my partner Stuart, we did a um, an event, some kind of big event. We turned up in a limo. Before that, but the day before, I was told that I was going to have to be in one car and Stuart in another because we couldn't be seen getting out of the same car together. It was, much, it was that kind of level of paranoia that was... We, just got, we got bored of it and we got bored of it. Yeah. So we just yeah. got to please ourselves. And, uh, and once they start, you know, trying to stick camera, you know, those cameras that come on the end of, what do they call those? Um, it's like, like CIA oh, service things. They start sticking these cameras through your letterbox and all that stuff. <laughs> you just think, you know, I'm done with this. Mm. And so, so, I mean, Richard gets asked to do a lot of, lot of television in the UK. And we, I, last year we said no to everything. Um, well, that's, that's why I asked you, Fred, like originally. Yes. I asked you because I know, and it, and it was great that you both came on. I really appreciate it. But I, I, I was asking for you through Ellie was, hey, yeah. his friend, you know, I just didn't care. Both of you were there. And then, she, you know, both of them. And, and it was because it, it tends to be, you know, like you said, one way or the other. And, and really, you both, are, you both are the group, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it, it's, we're not yeah. talking, we're not talking uh, your essence of, you know, Mick Jagger, uh, no, no, no. All, all your, you know, Sammy Hagar, you know, like, it's, 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 it's together. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's how I always see you guys, you know, as a yeah. duel. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, I think Richard's a singer, so he, he's on camera more than I am. He, <laughs> that's just the, that's the nature of the business. It's fine. And, yeah. and I wouldn't want to be, I, I wouldn't want to be a front man. I'd be, Apart from the fact I don't sing well enough, um, I just wouldn't be very good at it. Um, and so we, 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 we <laughs> you'd be quite rude. Yeah, I, I would be quite rude. <laughs> and uh, and it's good to know, you know, in the words of Dirty Harry, a man's got to know his limitations, you know. Yeah. And I think that's important to, to, to know that. So when the TV's coming, we get asked to do a lot of the, you know, reality stuff, TV, all the... Um, dancing stuff. All, you know, dancing on ice. Oh, God, all this cooking and, you know, so, and we... we you know, our thing is that when I get up, if I got up at five o'clock in the morning to go do a cooking show, would I feel good about that? Is that something I need in my life? Is that something I want? And the answer is no. Almost. Does it depend on what they? Does it depend on what they're cooking? No, I just. <laughs> and, and and it's not like it's, it's not to the money because on some some of the stuff we get offered, the money's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, it's just on what's good for your head, what's, what, what makes your life better. Well, yeah. it's funny that you brought the reality TV thing up because when I went to Dominican with my honeymoon and we met, the, like I said, all the, the English folks that were there from the UK, uh, on our way back, our airplane, the, uh, we had to stay another day because I think there was a mechanical malfunction. And right. to, to the right of us was Brett Michaels, lead singer of Poison. And, oh, yeah, and, and, I, and I said to my wife, you know who that is, right? You know, like, and this was years ago, bandana and the hair and everything goes, no, not really. I said, that's Brett Michaels, lead singer of Poison. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yep. Well, he was shooting that Rock of Love reality TV show, like yeah. a, a, probably a dozen blonde girls in bikinis and they all want to date him. And, and, uh, but he was really nice. I mean, he, he actually, my wife 
my son was probably only about two, three months old when we went. So my wife was homesick, you know, because she didn't travel much. I have traveled and she wanted to get back home. She was delayed. Our newborn son was home. And, you know, actually, Brett actually took the time to come over and give her a hug and, and tell her, you know, you'll, you, you'll be home in a day. And so it was kind of nice. But yeah, you're right. When that reality TV, it kind of is just, it's gotten too ridiculous and, and out of hand. Uh, some of the TV shows are good, but when they're bringing in stars, it almost seems like, you know, if you guys were on one of those shows, that it's, it's desperation, desperation to be in the headlines, yeah. right? I mean, we, we, we got very close to doing I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, which is shot on a <laughs> the jungle thing. Yeah. We did get close to that. But the trouble with Rich and I, we both got quite short tempers. And, and, and we're very tolerant. But once it all starts to unravel, it unravels quite quickly. And so we just... Feared that if we were on camera 24 hours a day on one of those shows, I don't think people, oh, people, oh, yeah. people would see us. I would see a side to us that I don't, I don't really like. And uh, well, I saw an interview with you guys when the, I think it was TV, and then this show's a little different. I tell my guests always be yourself, right? Uh, but I, but it, but this it was a it was a in the UK, and they said about swearing. <laughs> and you and you guys brought up about mom. Your mom swear you're, she swear like a drunken sailor. Dad not dad not so much. So I could just imagine that you guys with the camera on you twenty four seven. Right, you're kind of like me. But I you know I I saw studies out there. Uh, not you know I'm getting better with the the the, the tidiness. But I heard uh, sloppy and swearing is a sign of high intelligence. That's what the studies show. Oh well, we, we swear. Um, I mean, our language is. But it is our, our language is appalling, and and um, we've, when we were with um, working with this label last year, we lost our tempers, and we were we were with people we didn't want to be with, and as as long as we keep ourselves away, you know, so it's, it's triggers. There's something that triggers, and, and and if you know that does does that, then don't do it. So we we stay away from things that piss us off. Yeah. So yeah. the. So the last thing I want to talk about, because I'm going to let you guys go, you're probably, like I said, you look like you're getting warm there. Um, your influences or, or, or uh, British music, um, you know, it's had a lot of influences globally. Um, and you guys now, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, Fred, I, did you have some connections with uh, um, Bob Dylan and some other people? Yes. Yeah. What was the connection yeah, I, there? I played guitar for Bob Dylan in 80. Six. Uh, we did a bunch of shows in Canada, in fact, and it was in relation to a movie called uh, Hearts of Fire, which is a really appalling movie. But he needed <laughs> he, he needed a band to play um, to, to actually who could play and do some proper shows. So I, I, I got our second guitar. The first guitarist was Red Beach from Winger, and, um, and we had um, uh, 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 what's a sax player with Tina Turner, Tommy um, Capolelli. Yeah, some I can't remember yeah. the guy's name. Anyway, uh, anyway we, had, we, had, we had a good band. And so I, I did some stuff with Bob Dylan. Richard did a bunch of stuff before that with David Bowie. We both did uh, a load of promo stuff for Mick Jagger and some rehearsals with him. And so we, we, we were kind of, we, we, we worked with a, you know, obviously some, you know, some very talented people. But, the, but we always, even back then, we always wanted just to get on and do our own stuff. So... So the, the funny part with Bob Dylan, and it's kind of a small connection with a good friend of mine, is did you know Bob Dylan? So you were a part of his band. Did you know that Bob Dylan's band, uh, now we're going into the 60s, I would say, late 60s, early 70s. It would be late 60s. Uh, but the band was uh, predominantly Canadian. 
And that band was ended up being called the band. Uh, take a load off Fanny. Take a so so yeah. So Richard Danko uh, is uh, born in my hometown, Simcoe, Ontario. Uh, and then you had Robbie Robertson, who uh, was actually uh, his mom was from a native uh, or north like a like Indian native, North American uh, reserve, but married uh, a gentleman out of Toronto. Uh, and then you have all the other band members. The only one that wasn't Canadian was Levon Helms, who was I think from Arkansas. So it's funny how it's funny how and now my dad, my friend's dad, actually played. Uh, with Rick Danko's brother and a bunch of people like there's connections with Chris Christopherson uh, and and other people. So it's funny how in reality, this music world, it's very small when you think about it. You ended up with Bob. Yeah. You ended up with Bob Dylan, which was really, really cool. So who, for you guys though, I'll close uh, the segment with the last question with you guys who, um, who touched you guys the most musically as influences uh, from the time growing up to even now? I'm sure even now you you probably grabbed something. Like I said, I grabbed your I saw your EP and I went, "This is damn good." All right now, when I was 11 or 12, I danced to it at the high school uh, or the what they call the teen dances. I'm too sexy, you know, and and it was cool song. But as I grew up, it wasn't on my list. I, you know, I was Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. I got stuck into this grunge era right but now i'm i'm as i've you know the last 10 years i've opened up right and and, and i'm appreciating music and more genres and that's why tide, tide ended up on my music playlist and even like i said uh, with with some good times this summer i'll be cranking that uh, that song as well but who has touched you guys musically from childhood till now influence wise i think david bowie 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 mm-hmm. um mark Bolan. Yeah. Um, Leonard Cohen, in terms of not not necessarily that we would listen to him and say, let's try and sound like that, because we don't sound like that, really. Although Richard's a bass baritone who can sing in that pitch. But just people who are great phrases with words, or just just like um, just just the sim- a very simple hook, the ability to condense. And I, I love I love his song. Everybody knows. I, I let it go as everybody knows. I just think it's a really nicely put together, simple message. I think it's very cool. And um, who else? I mean, um, sometimes uh, talk, it's just Talking Heads. I think. Yeah. Also, sometimes it's just a song at a moment. It is. Yes. So soon after our father died, I was working in a gym, and they played The Living Years on the radio, which is all about his father passing. And I had to go into the lose because I started crying. And so that song will always have that moment. Yeah. So sometimes it's a moment and a song. You know, the song it's in, in and of itself is... Some, something that touches you just yeah. at, in the at moment. That's kind of how I am. Like I hear something and all of a sudden, either the way the music sounds coming in, now I'm hearing impaired, legally deaf, but, you know, I don't pick up what everybody else hears which is true which can be a downfall for me listening to music but what i process coming in and the emotion coming out makes a decision on whether you know whether it goes on a playlist or wow you know like how am i connect like i'm connecting with that artist right and it's it's funny how you just said everybody knows i first heard that on a movie uh with christian slater uh pump up the volume that song was on it everybody knows but it's funny because the other day on on my phone i'm playing tide again i keep bringing that back up and then all of a sudden i went over to everybody knows Oh, okay. then, I went, then I went back to Tide. <laughs> then I went back to Everybody Knows because I'm listening to 
the voice comparison. Yes. And, and it's not that, and it's not that you're copying. It's just it's where the tone sits and and how the how the words come off the tongue. And yes. and it's like wow, you know, like that's pretty cool. I'm like, it's not intended to be that way, but right away my brain picked up and said, hey, this is uh, this is pretty cool. He's you know he's in in the range with such an exceptional artist like Leonard yeah. Cohen. Yeah, was, well, yeah, was, a Canadian artist I, I listen to quite regularly is Frazee Ford. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you not like her? Oh uh, no, I'm no. Like I said, I'm open now to a lot of music. I'm just shocked that, like I said, there's there's bands here. When you ask Americans about them, never heard of them. When okay. you go ask uh, someone from the UK or Ireland or Germany, they've heard of them. So it's funny how yes. you, you know either you know because I remember when I was in Belgium, living in Belgium, and I remember walking into a pub in Belgium and and what would crank all the time there. And this was 98, 99, 2000, 2001 was cuts like a knife summer of 69 yes. or I, I love rock and roll. <laughs> it, was con- it was constantly on. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. So, so I'll let you guys go. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pump the, the new EP. I'll, sell, I'll uh, post li- links to, uh, to all the songs with the videos that you have on that EP. Uh, yeah. it, it really sucks with the, uh, this pandemic thing that's going on. Um, I know you guys were in Vaughn a couple years ago because uh, here in Canada, they're huge right now with bringing back bands, right? Bringing back that era. And it's not like a nostalgia act. It's because to me, and I'll give you my honest opinion, most of the stuff I hear on the radio is shit. And, and that's just my opinion with upcoming. It's all this, it's commercialized. It's all the same, but there's no feeling to it. So everybody's going back to these reunion or bring the, yes. the, the older bands back and they've been pretty successful. Um, so, the, so are you guys, where are we at right now? That's my last question for you. Is there anything happening or are we, we're going to have to sit and wait uh, for you guys, uh, Europe wise or coming back to North America? Next year, all our, all our shows up to December have been moved to 2021. We've still got some shows, but they're all out in Eastern Europe. Okay. Um, through, through through December, and um, we're back in the K in in the K in the UK as of um, January. And our, our agent is just um, um, it's been a nightmare for him as well. So and also he's he's um, in the process of having a baby with his wife. So I've left him alone for a while. But I'm, I want to speak to him about um, going back to Canada next year because it's yeah. very. It's a very empathetic market for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're we're practically British. I mean, I live in a town where the river is called the Thames River. Um, I mean, we we have. A, I live twenty five minutes away from London. Right. So 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 yeah. In London, actually, yeah, they they've got a beautiful festival there where they had uh, they had Vanilla Ice. They had a couple other uh, artists that played there. It's called Rock the Park. And they do they do three nights in this festival, and it gets pretty big. And it's uh, you know one night might be uh, more like they break it up into genres, right? right. So so your your glam hair metal one night, uh, more like uh, where you guys might fit in another night, and then maybe like country another night, and and it's pretty successful. That's in London, Ontario, and it was called Rock the Park. So, but uh, but yeah, I wish you guys nothing but success and luck, and and also health. Um, you know what? So I'm going to push uh, the the EP pretty hard over here. I want some Canadian folks and American listeners. I also have listeners in the UK and Europe as well. So I want to make sure that they're they're listening to it and they are getting up back on board with you guys because I was quite impressed with what I heard and uh, I want it to be successful and I want you guys to continue a very long and lengthy career. So yeah. what what I'd like to do is just uh, is just stay in touch 
you know, I won't bother you. I can go through Ellie. <laughs> um, oh, well, you've got my email now. Just give me an email. It's fine. Yeah. So if you guys are coming back to Canada, that's cool. Uh, um, we'll stay in touch. And if you guys, uh, you, you got that new other EP that's going to come out in a few months. I'm yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I'm excited to see what's on that. And we'll go from there, guys. So I appreciate you guys doing this. And uh, I wish you all well, uh, all the best of luck in the future and wealth and health. And health okay. Take take care, guys. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. Cheers. Bye.